Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to 2022, an episode, I believe, 113 of Dial the Gate. We just keep on trucking. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us. Director Martin Wood and producer Martin Wood of Stargate is uh, joining us for this very special episode. I'm always pleased to have him. And uh, before we get started, I just uh, want to invite you to share the show. If you like Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will help the show continue to grow. We're almost at 20,000 subscribers. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course over the next few weeks on the GateWorld.net YouTube channels and later on here on Dial the Gate. Now, this is a live show. So with these live episodes, what we do is uh, I talk with the guests we, uh, we get up to speed with them, we uh, go down the rabbit hole of Stargate Memory Lane, and then what we do is we come uh, back around to the live chat on youtube.com slash dial the gate. If you're there now, you can submit questions to the guest for free. We have moderators who are going to curate those questions, and then at the second half of the show, uh, we will then ask those questions to the guest. So, here we go. Mr. Martin Wood, director and producer of Stargate. Thank you so much for coming back, sir. It's always a privilege to have you on. You're welcome. You're the only person that calls me Mister, so I I, I come back just for that for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> You've been busy lately. So your first feature with Paramount, you said. Yeah, it was interesting. It was uh, um, CBS had commissioned a movie for me and uh, and uh, went to do it. And Paramount came in and said, "Hey, we're interested in this." And uh, uh, so Paramount Plus picked it up right away and. Uh, um, and ran with it. So, and it did extremely well. I guess it dropped just before Christmas and uh, um, starred Adam Rodriguez and Jessica Camacho. And what's uh, the project called? <clears throat> it was called A Christmas Proposal. Okay. Which was a little bit of a misnomer because it was uh, actually about, it had nothing to do with marriage, it had nothing to do with uh, anything like that. It had to do with um, Adam needing a girlfriend to fake out his family. And uh, so the, the, the story is really about uh, a lie. It turns into this beautiful truth, and it happens at Christmas time. So it's why, right. why it was called Christmas proposal. But it went. Uh, it, it was this whole thing with his Latin family that uh, um, that Adam and, and Jessica sort of helped guide. Um, and it was just. It was so much fun to make. It was so much fun. Those two together um, uh, made this project wonderful. And and uh, uh, it was. It was. Uh, we made it uh, sort of last summer. Um, I had to truck in 60 truckloads of snow into Whistler. Whistler oh, of course. Um, so, so Whistler never lets you shoot in it, in the town or in the village, because uh, there's always too many people there. But COVID had 
literally shut down the town for so long. Wow. And they said, yes, please come up, please come up. And so we went in there and shot in the village of Whistler and trucked in all this snow. And they thought it was just hilarious because they spend so much time trying to get rid of it at that time <laughs> of year. And suddenly we had, you know, 60 dump trucks full coming in. Well, that's, that's, that's terrific. And so, okay. So that uh, premiered uh, this, this past Christmas, right? It did, yeah. Yeah. It's available on, on um, Paramount Plus. On- Still, yeah, and and CBS streaming has it as well. So, um, it's it's a fun movie, and it doesn't need to be seen at Christmas time because it's really not a Christmas theme. It's it's it looks like Christmas because they wanted it yeah. to be. Honestly, it it's a, it's a good movie any time of year, and it, it was a blast to do. Um, Absolutely, <clears throat> I did that, and then on both sides of that, I did a. Uh, I, I've been doing um, Virgin River, um, Virgin River for Netflix. I'm done. I think 16 episodes for them or something. It's, it's uh, um, and uh, Makita came back, Andy Makita came back this year um, to direct uh, um, a couple of them. And uh, so we finished season four. Uh, I can't tell you when it's going to drop. And then they'll be picking up a season five too. So again, just sort of rolling in, in romantic drama for me. <laughs> Very strange. Um you also mentioned before we started the show, there was a, a bit of a uh, an onset uh, Stargate reunion with you yeah, yeah. and a few I, other I, cast members and a I burgeoning a, new cast member. I do a uh, I do a um, murder mystery um, a series called uh, Aurora Tea Garden for for Hallmark. Um, I think I, I started the series. I've done like nine of eighteen of them or something like this, and uh, Lexa stars in it. Um, as uh, as uh, the friend of Candace Cameron Bure, um, uh, as they solve all these murder mysteries, and uh, uh, a couple of times now, I've brought Michael in to guest star <laughs> um, in the background. He actually played a background player once, just telling her, you know, telling Lexi to get off his property. <laughs> um, and uh, in that one, that that was the first one I actually brought um, Sam and Mia, his his uh, his uh, son and daughter in with my son and daughter uh siri and, and connor to uh be the kids that were disrupting this this investigation of the murder um and they were literally background players with uh, with robin dunn um, ah, okay robin from sanctuary so <clears throat> yeah and uh and ellie harvey um mm-hmm. uh, plays as well and uh, niall mater is uh number three on it so he uh, uh, or number two on it. He comes in and he's he's now married to Candace. So there's a lot of people that we had on Stargate, uh, um, you know, uh, come into it. But on this last one, I needed a young Lexa, uh, a teenage Lexa, and uh, I I've known her daughter since she was born, and uh, mm-hmm. they look very very much the same. So I uh, I asked if Mia could play a young Lexa. <laughs> And I think with much cajoling from mom and dad, she did. And uh, and so they were there. Uh, Candace Cameron Bure's daughter, Natasha, actually plays the young um, uh, Candace in this thing as well. So we have two daughters playing the two, uh, the two young uh, teenage versions of this. And uh, it was hysterical because on one of the days that, that uh, uh, Lexa and Mia were both working, Michael had to come because the, the, uh, as a minor, she has to have a parent on set that's not working. So mm. Michael had to come and sit on set and, uh, and um, made himself look incredibly bored. He wasn't, he was fascinated by the process. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah. But that's Michael. He's got to get in a, a, a mental jab. Yeah. Well, it was pouring rain too. We were outside and, and uh, Michael and Lexa were sitting inside going, man, am I ever glad I don't have a scene outside right now? So, Jeez, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun getting them together. We um, lost a couple people in the Stargate yes, family yeah. since uh, we last talked. Um, the first, uh, this was just devastating, was uh, Cliff Simon. Cliff, yeah. Yeah, we... I'm still getting over that one. That um, one rolled through us very, very suddenly, too. All of us were on social media that day when we heard. Um, and it was uh, it was, re- it was really hard to, uh, to talk to everybody about, too, because everybody was, he was such a good guy to everybody, and everybody was considering him a friend. Um, and uh, um, Michael Greenberg actually texted us with the, the information. And it went out from there. And then uh, um, it was, it, that was, that was a tough one because he was in such amazing shape and and he was, he was such an outdoorsman and yeah. Yeah. It's, you, you never know when um, life is going to come in with your number and say, right. you know what, but everyone that I have talked to, to who knew him, this, the beach was his, uh, was his temple. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think he, he, he would have wanted to be anywhere else, you know, if, if chosen, a, I, you know, couldn't have chosen a better place. I, I, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you directed him. I did. Uh, in what was for a long time, my favorite Stargate two-parter summit and last stand. Mm-hmm. And uh, also a, a great episode abyss which had its own onset technical challenges with like the, <laughs> I, I'd like to get into that a little bit and uh, come back around to Mr. Garson and a little bit further yeah. down the show here. But um, Cliff was a friend of Michael Greenberg yeah, uh, and uh, you directed his, his first appearance in, in summit Gould Mardi yeah. Gras. And this is an episode where when you, when you read between the lines, the writers and everyone involved are really trying out, future villains. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't supposed to be a season six, but at the same time, you know, it could have it been was, anything. It was the, the cornucopia of, of, uh, <laughs> boards, you know, of, of, uh, of these, these, um, uh, uh, ghoul that, that would come in and it was like, okay, how far can we push this culturally? And, you know, and, and, uh, how, how much can we do with, with, uh, and honestly, I think that part of the, the fun in that was building the costumes for them. You know, um, our costume designer came in with these gorgeous, gorgeous things. My favorite was used costume. I just, I have to say. Um, uh, but uh, Cliff had this, this breastplate that was just, I mean, it was built for Cliff's body. You know, and, and he, That's the body he sported. He was a dancer. He was, you know, uh-huh. he, and, uh, and, uh, he just had this, there was a, there was a, a regalness to him um, that uh, when, when you're looking at, um, when you're looking at the people who would control the, the kind of legions that they would control, Cliff was probably one of the easiest to believe that he had that control. You know, I always felt that Apophis, uh, Peter's Apophis was, was, uh, angry, um, 
And Cliff's ball never had to be angry. He could do it all with a smile. And you thought that's the most dangerous. That's, that's where it's dangerous. You know, Um, he's not wearing it all on the surface. You don't know how deep that rabbit hole goes. No. And, (laughs) and uh, Sue Ann was, was always, um, for me, Sue Ann was one of the, the, the people that you could, you could look at and you could say, oh yeah, she's evil. Cliff, even though he had that visage, he had the, you know, the, the little mustache and that, that the, uh, the angular face and things like that. He had an easy smile to him and you thought, ah, is he really a bad guy? And then you realize, no, he's seriously a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like directing him in Abyss? Uh, particularly with the fact that uh, Rick was no longer on set all the time. His contract was so that he had some more flexibility to have some time off with his family. And you uh, spent more time with uh, with Dan Shea as a yeah. consequence. Yeah. Well, and that was a that was a particularly physical episode too, because oh. of the, because of the tilting set and because of all those kind of things. And um, Cliff came into that, and um, he said uh, he said I came up with this, and it's like yeah, you came up with this. He goes, good. I'm gonna have fun with it. And, and it's one of those ball inventions that, that you sit there going, okay, um, uh, this is where he shines. Because as soon as he shows up and you realize, oh, it's, it's ball that's doing this. Yeah. You know, um, it opens up, again, it opens up more venues, more corridors that, that, uh, that can happen. Um, because you're never sure. When the, when the system large, it's like, okay, who's, who's got control of this? Is it just, is it just Jaffa? Is it just, is it, is it, what are you going to see when you do this? Mm-hmm. And suddenly when a system Lord shows up, it's like, okay, it gets um, exponentially worse now. And when it was ball, it got seriously worse. If I may insert into this, because I don't want to stop your train of thought that the, the, the gold system Lords, the gold themselves, I've always been in very much the vein of, of, comic book villains and that's that's part of that is because of rick's response to all of them to keep it light and fun and to and to keep a door open to the fourth wall to say you know part of us come on come on yeah ball walks in in that scene joel goldsmith's music is playing Mm -hmm. the low camera angle the lighting we haven't seen this guy for half a year we don't know what he's capable of i as an audience member for the first time, was genuinely scared for that for for O'Neill. For Rick, genuinely yeah. scared for yeah. that character. I was like, I yeah. don't. He's in a place where he's not going to get out of this anytime soon. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah. You know, that was ball. That was Cliff Simon all the way. Yeah, and and truthfully, what was funny is is um, Rick used to always make fun of of uh, uh, of Cliff. Because he'd go, well, you have the mustache. You should be doing a little bit more of this. And what's interesting to me is Cliff would constantly do this. He would constantly smooth his mustache. And I said, are you doing that because Rick told you to twist your mustache? And he goes, no, I just do that. I just, and it's, it's one of the things he does. I said, maybe stop doing it because it does look like a nervous twit to me. And it looks like, he goes, he goes, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it was one of those things that he had, um, uh, at one point he'd come in with a much spikier sort of 
uh, goatee. And it was like, uh, I don't think so. It just looks too much like you're trying too hard. And, and it looks like what you is doing with his, you know, with his facial hair. And things exactly. Like um, and, uh, and he said, okay, good to know. And, and uh, then he sort of just went to stubble a little bit more with it. And um, um, you know, the, 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 the other time I got to say that, that, that um, you get that reaction. And I know as a, as a director, I'm trying to elicit that same reaction that, that, you know, when he comes around the corner in abyss and you sort of see him for the first time and it's like, uh, there he is. And it's just it, the angle that we're looking at him too. is and slow so, motion. And yeah, yeah almost. Um, the other time is in continuum, of course, mm. where you don't know that ball is involved with this until he comes in. It's like, oh, rats. <laughs> because he's got the brains to be able to pull it off. Because he has that that um, that malice about him to pull it off. And it's so funny because if you knew Cliff in real life, that was 100% acting. That <laughs> did not exist in Mr. Simon, you know. But that's a great performer right there. Yeah, when he comes yeah. through that gate in Continuum, that yeah. shot that you complained about, you know, it just didn't look quite right. It didn't look quite right. But, I mean, with, with Cliff, uh, it's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> We're yeah. in for something. Yeah. So, and it was it was so cool to be able to have him back for that. Yeah. Uh, and and really have resolution to that character. We can all stand back and go, you know what? Um, we we w- unfortunately may never we'll never get another performance out of him. But man, that man left a legacy, not just not just on Stargate, but all of us and all of us who were, were privileged yeah. to get to meet him. Yeah. And then how about the duplicating? Um, oh, my ball? God. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> that was more ball than anybody needed. So <laughs> that's uh, certainly true. Yeah, he t- he talked about uh, uh, setting up those shots. I'm not. Did you do any of those episodes where where there were I multiple? Didn't, no. Okay. I didn't, those none of those were mine. Yeah, that was that was quite uh that that was that was quite clever of him, and you know, just seeing something different. So. Yes. Yeah. We also uh, lost Mr. Willie Garson. Yes. This one also just absolutely came out of of left field. I had just interviewed him for the show months before and i had never met him before and i it was i was so privileged to have time with him uh to get his because i don't think he'd ever really done an interview for for that character Um, really i don't i don't i haven't been able to find one anywhere and martin is so central to so many aspects of that show um you worked with him, I believe, in 200. 200. 200. 200 it is a show about him. Exactly. Yeah. Tell us about tell us about working with Willie. What was really interesting about Willie was that that um, he worked the humor. Yes. You know, he continually worked the humor. <clears throat> working with Richard Kind, Richard liked the humor written for him. When Richard did uh, 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 Lucius. Uh, yeah, yeah. When he came in to do all of his stuff, Richard is hysterical, but he likes it there. He likes to be able to make what's written hysterical. Um, Willie likes to make it hysterical, whether it's there or not, you know. And and uh, <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite things is when he fakes the phone call and he just turns away and um, you know and and. Um, uh, when when you're sitting there on set and he just does something like that, you know, 
Was that not written in the script? Not like that, no. Oh, okay. I didn't hear it was It was on vibrate. Get me out of here. There was a line, line, but it's the way he picks it up and just turns to ad lib after he walks away. Um, And uh, um, um, when he he does stuff like that, I can, I I have uh, my headset on, but I also, I hear the, the crew around me start to laugh. And, um, and because you can't help it, you know, mm-hmm. it's just funny. And, and, uh, um, he kept doing it all the time and he's sitting at the, he's sitting at the boardroom table and he's pitching out these ideas, which are so ludicrous. And, and what's funny is the one person who you, who is not supposed to crack a smile is, is judge. Mm-hmm. And Chris is killing himself. I'm like, Chris, you're in every shot. Come on. I can't hold an over of, of Willie when he, and he goes, he goes, Dude, he's making me laugh. I'm not doing it. I'm like, Chris, come on. You got you have to be that that straight face with it because the the humor comes out of you not finding it funny. Um you know, and uh he was just he was hysterical. You know. His um, and, his chemistry with Rick was just Yeah. No, like nothing else. I mean, there was there was a similar vein with Tom Macbeth, but it was just you you could I think tell so, but, but, Yeah, Tom Tom Interestingly, Tom, um, uh, Tom kept reaching for, um, uh, for the character all the time. He was like, he was like, where am I? I, I'm, am I, am I bad? Am I good? Am I, am I, you know, where am I? And it's like, well, you're bad, but you're trying to do something that's, that's you think is good. So, and Rick would sit there going, no, you're a hundred percent bad. You're, you're just, you're the worst (laughs) with Willie, even though Willie was doing stuff that was bad he was was um you couldn't be mad at him you couldn't you couldn't say he was 100 bad because he never knew what he was doing mm-hmm. you know and and truthfully that whole plausible deniability thing is a great storyline i love that storyline no it's terrific and the lizard people and yeah. the cover-up at such and such no there was um uh no that's 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 the that's the first appearance of his no the the genius of the 100th episode is that conceit that he lost his memory and so he's just going out and saying anything and they're like, well, you know, if this ever comes out, the Air Force can use this as leverage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nobody thought we would get to 200, right? So, oh my gosh. Suddenly we had this idea for 200. And, and um, I remember when I first picked up the, the, the first beat sheet on, the, on the, uh, the script to look at it, I'm going, oh my God, are you serious? Are you serious? And then, like, all the different things that we ended up doing with it. And, and I mean, obviously, the puppets were, for me, one of the, the, the most fun things to do. Um, you know, just because it was um, it was so different. And uh, Peter West and I, I think I've told this story a number of times, where we went to Los Angeles to shoot. With yeah, that the, footage uh, was shot down there. Yeah, the Kyoto Brothers, who actually did... Um, who did America. Uh, America. And I don't know if I've ever, have, have you and I had a conversation about it before? I have always wanted to talk to you about 200 at all, for all different reasons. I'm going to show you something that most people have never seen. Um, and uh, I have my own, uh, my own pictures from that time, um, from when we were, uh, when we were there. And these aren't going to translate very well, but uh, um, I can show you some very interesting things that, that, uh, that happened there um, working with the Kyoto brothers um, and the, uh, the, the puppets that they used 
Um, some of them came from uh, from uh, Team America. Right. I always wondered, like, about the the background scientist characters. You know, you have you have a lot of puppets that get like one shot of screen yep. time. I was like that. I can't imagine the tens of thousand dollars per puppet. You know. Yeah, so I mean, this is this is there they are spots right there. Wow. Um, and uh, but I'll show you some of the fun parts about that. That, that uh, I don't. I said I, I, I don't know how many times I've I've talked about this, but I don't know if I've ever shown the. Uh, um, I've never picture. seen that. So this is uh, this is actually how you set it up. Right? Now, what's interesting is Peter and I shot the footage live action. So what we did is we had the characters coming in, uh, had the actors come in, and they were just dressed in street clothes. Um, uh, they came into the sets. We'd set the shot up. The actors would act it so that we got the voices for it. And now those voices went down to the puppeteers. They feed it into a machine um, that will make the mouth move. So like the Gilda computer- Fluke? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, um, and then um, we go, uh, we go in, and, and they start. They, they've looked at the footage. They've seen the, the, what the actors did, and so now they're they're uh, mimicking it. Now here, this is an anomaly because you see me looking at the uh, the puppets, right? Yes. Uh, what happens is you never talk to the puppeteers. You talk to the puppets when you're directing them. So I'm sitting there talking to the puppets and saying, I need you to turn your head a little bit more like this and this. Oh, and so you're just doing that. You're not told to do that. It's just what's happening. No, it's just, you don't even think about it because you'd be standing there staring straight up the whole time. Yeah, but you're buying it. You're buying the performance. And truthfully, they nod. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> That's it's funny. Hysterical. Now, um, here's a couple of shots. <laughs> I, again, I, I don't know if I've ever said this to anybody before, but do you know who the stand-ins were? No. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. <laughs> was one of our stand-ins. And the other one was Matt Damon. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's great, man. So when we were setting up shots, we'd have Matt Damon and and uh, um, Alec Baldwin there with us. <laughs> you know, it was it was so much fun to do, and it was just like you were setting up shots, like you were setting up shots for this the for a shot, a first right. Scene. I don't know why that uh, brightness is so weird, but uh, yeah, it works. Know. There we go. Yeah. Um. Anyway, oh, it was uh, it was so much fun to do, and and just being down there with these guys for, you know, uh, the time that we spent down there, and, and uh, directing these actors and coming back, and then of course everybody wanted to see all the footage, you know, all the actors wanted to see how they looked. Um, I sent Amanda a couple of pictures from there, um, uh, just to show her who her character looked like, and uh, and uh, it was hysterical. It was just so much fun. Now, did you shoot? Uh... The, the puppet footage uh, before 200 principles photography or, or after? No, no, we shot, it was, it was well after because what we did is we shot the actual scenes during the shooting, during the shooting. And then what I do is I just leave the camera locked off, take the actors out of it and run it for the duration of time that we needed to do that. So you have and a then, plate. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then what we ended up doing was we had all the measurements and everything like that. And I remember it was Michelle Cummins was, was, uh, was giving us all this, this feeding us all this stuff. And we got down there and Peter and I are looking at the shots going, we can't do it with these measurements. We literally can't do it with the measurements. We have to do it by eye because we'd play the footage back and I'd be looking at it and we'd key the green screen out and I'm going, it doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. So we ended up literally doing it by eye um, and giving that to them instead of using the, uh, the distance and stuff like that, because the, the scale didn't work properly for us. And, and it really, in order to make it work, we just went, okay, hope this works when we get back. And it did, it worked beautifully. When you, you there, I was always surprised at how, you know, as artists, it's sometimes more important to feel things through than to measure things through. Yeah. My argument with Bruce Woloshin, and it's it's gone on for years now, was why didn't you just have a laser at the puddle so that you could scan into the computer the point at which the object dematerializes? Because he's always done it by hand. Yeah. Every one of those shots. And I think every one of those shots has always cost like Fifty thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken. They were they were at the beginning very very expensive. But yeah. the, Bruce said that they always cost the same amount, and 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 Brad Wright has always said that as well. And Brad was always like, "Why is this always cost the same? Because it's the advancement in technology, and you know, it's it's always the same. It's always was fixed." But Bruce would argue, you know, you, you, he had to paint it by hand because of the the weight of clothing. Of you know, it's it's not just going through the puddle. It's it's meeting. A uh, resistant surface, yeah, and that doesn't happen, just let stuff through. It would take time to go across your body like this, rather than just be gone when you right. step through. So as soon as you hit the event horizon, it didn't just. It wasn't like you you um, you uh, were clearing a pane of glass. Mm-hmm. It was because it would come off of you like this, and right. and it would it would seep off of you like that with a hard line on your shoulder. Um, you know, but then it folded in behind you as well. It's reacting to you, and the yeah. the the script, uh, the the uh, uh, the inner canon of the show backs this up. So it's just and brilliant. It was one of those things when 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 I started shooting on the side of the the gate, which was sort of that invention of of sort of sitting there and watching from one side to another, mm. and the they uh, where we we got rid of the the wormhole part of it. So I could look at both sides of the gate at the same time. Yes. Um, It didn't happen very often. And it didn't happen very often because what um, uh, James and what, what uh, Bruce would always talk about, what, what everybody would talk about is that, that it isn't an instantaneous thing, Mm -mm. you know? No, it's a few seconds. You're you're making it look instantaneous. Yep. And, and I said, well, yeah, but it's so cool. And they're they're like, it it doesn't really work like it. And what you would probably do is have a bit of a trail coming off of them too. And I'm, I'm saying, well, I'm not worried about that because of the gate itself. You can't see the horizon. You can't, if I'm directly at the side of the gate, you can't see the, the event horizon. Correct. No, it's the gate's too wide. wide enough to do it. And I said, so let's try and make it so that the time it takes to go through here is delayed just enough before they come out here. Yeah. There was... And- that one shot that I can think of, David Worry Smith directed a hundred days, and it's the only time that I'm pretty sure the only time that that Stargate did this was Rick goes in, in in um, Stargate Command, and then comes out on Edora. 
and it's yeah. like delayed by just a few moments. At the beginning of the of the show, uh, it was several seconds to get to the other destination. But later on, we learned that it was like just a few microseconds. So, yeah. you know, as you evolve the series, there's a few changes like that that have to get made. But the artistry that goes into the shots and the composition like that, you stand back and you just go, wow, that was cool. Yeah. And holds up today as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely holds up today. 100%. With 200, and Christopher Judge and I talked about this in, in a fair uh, uh, bit of detail, and I'm really interested in, in your thoughts. And you alluded to this just at the beginning where it was, how are we, we going to do this? You know, I mean, the, the, the number of sequences that are yeah. in this thing. And what Chris said uh, was that, and maybe you can piggyback off of this, was that every department just brought their A game. Yeah. They knew what they were getting into. What they were getting into was was a gift anyway because the show has lasted for 10 seasons. So this is a chance to send a love letter back to the fans, thanking them for allowing you guys to still be on the air very for that much. long. Yeah, very much. And I mean, here's here's the extent that it actually uh, um, uh, shows you that everybody brought their A-game. Rick showed up for scenes that he was invisible in. <laughs> That's right. He had a green skirt, uh, like, thing on. He had the green suit on. Suit. And, and he's like... Uh, uh, he was there for the uh, the, the the shower scene. And we don't <laughs> he even just see says, where you. He just says nope. Like, I'm I'm here. I'm here. And, uh, that's that's funny. And he wanted to be there for the uh, the chair turning scene right at the beginning. And I'm like, you don't have to, Rick. And then he insisted on being in the walking down the hall. He was, I got a coffee cup, and I got this. And that was such a pain in the butt for the guys because they actually ended up making a new coffee cup, the one yeah. that he had they couldn't use. So, um, um, but yeah, he's walking down the hall and I have pictures of him walking down the hall with Chris, um, you know, and it is a, it's a hysterical scene because he was there. What was your, uh, was, would that have been your favorite besides the puppets or were, were some of there's, I think the teen one is hysterical. I think that that's so funny. Yeah, that one was funny. I, I wasn't as familiar with one tree hill. Okay. Um, at the time. And that's sort of what it was based on was that kind of feeling. And so I, 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 I didn't embrace that one the, the way that I did with sort of the, uh, um, uh, I loved, loved the, um, <laughs> the planet exploding. <laughs> <laughs> with the furlings. The, the furlings. You them and then you kill them. The, the furlings to me were hysterical because it was a husband and wife team that played them. And, and they just, they were so funny um and uh, again and the other one was the uh the farscape one that uh um that i had so much fun with because we had been there and right. claudia you know and uh and just being able to do the farscape bit uh was was very funny you know? Who, whose idea was it to reverse uh uh michael and ben so that ben was no longer playing Crichton? I think that I, Ben I was originally supposed to play Crichton because yeah, Vala I, I plays Aaron. I, I, I'm not sure whose idea it was. I would give it to Brad, but it could have been any one of them in the room, I think. Um, it sort of went, oh, this is going to be hilarious. And, and uh, um, Brad, um, <laughs> Brad playing the engineer. Um, uh, was, Paul McGillian wasn't available. And that was, that was on the day. It was, it was me looking at Brad going, and him going, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like, come on. And he goes, I'll do it. And it's like, 
it was very funny. It was very funny. And, and I mean, all of that stuff, everything we did was just, was so much fun to do. And, and knowing that it was being made for the, the audience that loved the show, you know, Every time you do a show, you, you see, we, we don't want to alienate anybody with us. You don't want to, you know, you want new viewers to come in and watch it. Of course. On, on 200, it was like, the only people that are going to really get this, that are going to understand the depth of this humor are the fans that really love this show. Exactly. And the reaction I've had so many times from people who knew the show, I mean, all your fans, you know, have, has always been this, this very positive energy coming for it. And people that didn't know the show, when I say, oh, you got to watch 200, they go, really? What, what was that all about? I didn't understand. And then you go, well, you wouldn't understand unless you saw 100, unless you saw, you know, unless you knew the, the backstory with the furlings and, and things like this, you wouldn't get half the jokes that were and in there. And Jack and Sam getting married and perhaps Jack and Daniel yeah. instead getting married <laughs> and, with the shippers and, and the slashers. Yeah. And, and that scene again, where we were able to bring all the people that had been in the like all the, the, the audience for it was all the people who had been with the show from the beginning. And you start looking right. at everybody. Wow. We've spent, you know, 10 years together. It was, Absolutely. it was pretty cool. What about the wizard of Oz sequence? That was funny. Uh, you know, there was, there's a place in, in um, Burnaby called central park. And when uh, we were sort of location scouting for a number of different things, I was looking for the, the sort of the yellow brick road kind of feeling to it. Um, and I also needed to shoot a bunch of other things. That, that whole chase with the uh, replicators. The replicators, yeah. That giant crane shot that sweeps across the ground and and, uh, and chases our guys. Um, and I shot, you know, uh, um, Tilk at the at the uh, um, at the gate when they come through and they're they're stranger cuts. That's also oh, so you're doing all those elements at that. I'm shooting okay, all yeah. those elements at one time, and and so and the One Tree Hill stuff too. The, the, uh, the <laughs> that's right. Version of it was a lot of it was shot there. Um, but uh, but when I, I sort of I came around the corner and I looked and there's this little windy road that uh, this little windy path. I thought, oh, I know where we're going to shoot this. Then. I know where we can where we can, um, you know, um, crash the ship. And um, and it was uh, that was another one where because we constantly made the Wizard of Oz connections, it really had to be in this uh, in 200. And again, that's one of those things that that. The, the true fans are going to know mm-hmm. and everybody else is going to go, well, why did they choose Wizard of Oz? You know, I understand why you chose Farscape. I understand why you did. But why like did you 20 choose Wizard of Oz references throughout the show. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of subtle ones. Yeah. And it, a lot of it was Amanda coming up with stuff like that. And then, then um, you know, um, and the writers writing stuff in and, and uh, the, the actors just grabbing onto it and going, yeah, let's use these, these, uh, these references, you know? Just craziness. Yeah, yeah. I, I am I am thrilled that you guys did it, that you had the budget to pull something like that off. Uh, and I, I think it will continue to go down as like one of the top ten of the of the show because of uh, we all we all know what it is that you're that you're doing and you you guys do it so well and that's just you're just yeah. sending us a kiss. Yeah, that I mean, truthfully, two hundred and Lost City were the two that we spent mm. um, massive amount of money on, and they had the money to make them what they needed to make them. Um, Lost City, very yeah. much. I I I wanted to talk about this one because in in some respects it's four episodes. It's yes. Lost City one and two, and then it's Rising one and two. They all yes. fold together. 
Yeah. Can you, what can you tell us about Because I, for a long time, you know, that we, ha- we had, and I was on the news side of this at this point, there was, there were rumors about the Stargate feature film, the Stargate movie, you know, we're going to, yeah. we're going to finish the show and, 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 and do, do a movie. And, um, Lost City, in my understanding was, was many of the elements in that were from one of the proposed outlines that was p- potentially going to be the movie, uh, had season five ended and with a, the threat of Anubis and that was it. Right. So yeah, tell us I about th- creating that with, with the team. Uh, I mean, that was, that was, um, for me, Lost City was its own entity. Um, I wasn't thinking about Atlantis at the time. Okay. I don't think a lot of people were thinking about Atlantis okay. at the time um, uh, because uh, Lost City was so big. And and the the mechanics of what was going to be uh, Rising 1 and 2 um, was not, it wasn't solidified yet when we were into what Lost City was going to be. So in, 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 for me, Lost City just needed to be this, this, um, uh, denouement kind of feeling to what SG one was doing, you know, until they found sort of this, this was, this was like finding, you know, uh, an, a, a, a new planet within, you know, walking distance. Um, and that whole idea of finding a power source of finding, you know, of, of, of having that, that influence that, that, uh, that the chair gave you, you know, that all those things that came together in Lost City um, were, were um, important um, elements to keep on their own. Mm. Because if we tied them too much to Atlantis, if we tied them too much to where we were going with it, uh, with it, um, I, I think that, uh, that, uh, it would have got lost in the in the in uh, Lost City one and two, you know. It needed to be all discovery, all discovery, nothing. Does that make sense? I mean, I it, think so. Yeah, what I'm saying that, that what we didn't want to do was was set it up as if, okay, this is where we're going with this. Right. It needed to be all discovery for the team, where they had no idea what it was. You know, it's like finding the uh, the next the, the extra chevron. It's exactly. Like getting, you know, it's it's when you when you find um, when you find like there's it's one thing to, to blow up suns, okay? Um, it's another thing to find a power source that you can control. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know? that's true. Um, sorry, Amanda, I, I hate to bring up that painful memory. But, <laughs> you blow up one sun, everyone expects you to walk on water. Exactly. But um, but um, understanding what those were going to be, and then trying to design those things. Uh, with the idea of design elements that would go into what we were going to see, you know, was a big part of what rising was rising was what are the elements we really like about this and what do we move into the new series into Atlantis to make it look like it is something different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing that would have happened with universe. It's it's, there are elements that need to be in the, the human tech uh, that that will allow us to do this kind of stuff. So it's not just wiring up, you know, a new battery. No, there's a whole philosophy behind all of it. Yeah. yeah. We had Jessica Steen on at the end of uh, uh, our, our first season on Dial the Gate. 
she was wonderful. And she was very upfront and honest about um, uh, the, the things that, that went down on set about uh, uh, Burning Man and all the, these other things that she felt contributed to her. You know what? They're, they went with someone else. What was it like working with, with – I'd like to get to William Devane in a moment. But what was it like working with her on the set and, and bringing, was- Jessica, bringing Elizabeth Weir to life for the first time? Yeah. Um, she and Tori are two different characters. Oh, yeah. Very, very different. They, very. It's not like Tori picked up what Jessica did. No. Tori created a new uh, Weir. Um, and and Jessica played a, <clears throat> a softer version mm-hmm. that was, and, and truthfully, I mean, part of this was me um, in conversation with her. And part of it was Rick and the way he wanted her to play it. Um, part of it was obviously Brad and, uh, you know, and the team sort of saying, this is what we need this person to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that certainly she had the strength um, uh, to do it, but it was a different strength. And I, I honestly think, and this is nothing about, about uh, um, Jessica. It, it's, it's uh, nothing. It's not about, um, it's not about what she did with the character. It's where the character ended up going. Mm. I think Tori gave it that gravitas that, um, um, that it may not have come to the, the uh, you know, going toe to toe with, with uh, Shepard was something that Weir mm-hmm. did very well. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that uh, Amanda did very well. Amanda, I mean, when she came in, mm-hmm. uh, it was like, no, we're not doing that. I mean, she was able to do it without, you know, there were, there was, it was just, this is what we're doing. This is what command looks like at this point. Whereas, as um, uh, Tori had to find Weir's command. And, it's a new base. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was also something she'd never done. You know, mm-hmm. Weir was not a command leader like that, you know? Um, uh, and, and so finding, her feet there and i'm talking about i'm talking about we are not tory mm. finding her feet with flanagan or with with uh with um Shepherd. Shepherd was uh was part of the story you know um uh when uh jessica went toe-to-toe with with o'neill and with kenzie yeah and and i mean it was yeah it, it it was different, I think, than than the than the the than the, the control that Weir would that, that um, uh, Tori would have brought to it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. Um, I mean, I, I was I was on the periphery of, of the decision making mm-hmm. on that. I was, I was not privy to some of the inner machinations of it, but I was there. I'm not saying I wasn't part of it, uh, but I was I was um, on the outside part of it. Um, and I did not disagree with the change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I felt that Tori was was uh, a strong choice for um, for that character. We ran a poll uh, saying uh, which weird people liked more, and I was really shocked that it was it was nearly forty percent the number of people who would have been willing to give uh, Jessica Steen's weird a go. Yeah. Uh, into Atlantis and it, it makes you regardless of of whatever you guys had to work with on set what in terms of what was shot on the screen um, I, I often 
would look back on that on those episodes and be like, what would Atlantis have been like with Jessica's interpretation of that character? Yeah, it would have changed. It would have. It would have. It would have evolved the texture of the series. I think, and this is me, just a personal opinion about this. I think what what Jessica would have brought was a more feminine perspective Mm -hmm. to it, whereas Tori brought a. we're not talking about men and women. We're talking about people um, version of it. Mm-hmm. So she brought the non-gender mm-hmm. uh, leader into it. I mean, there was obviously she was she was she she was very much a female character, but, but oh, of course, her, yeah. Her decision making was not. Um, Jessica would have brought a much more emotional mm-hmm. version of it, which is you know what Rich, uh, Rachel brought into it when she came in too. I mean, which was really interesting because Rachel's character was not, did not have that bent originally. Um, you know, she was, she was a, a warrior. Taylor was, yeah. Taylor was a, on her feet fighting through and through, but still yeah. just by nature of, and it's the argument that Amanda made at the beginning uh, with Carter as well. Don't write a woman, write a good right. character and the woman yes. qualities are going to come through. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with Jessica, you could see that in in uh, Lost City. You saw that that, um, and it wasn't a, there was there was no diminishment of power for it. Mm-hmm. It was just that, that perspective would have been different, I think. And so when I think about the difference between um, Jessica and Tori in that role, mm-hmm. um, uh, I wonder, and I mean. In thinking about Weir, you have to think about a number of things. You have to think about Hewlett. Um, you know, right. you uh, you have to think about about Flanagan. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm using their their. Yeah, their, you have to think about McKay and Shepard. You have to think of McKay and yeah. Shepard, um, and and you have to think about what that dynamic was. Um, and then, I mean, Ronan wasn't even a part of it at that point, right? right? But when you bring Ronan into it, there's those three characters that that are are very. Um, very <laughs> incredibly different and how that character works with those three um, um, and with Taylor, you know, they're, they're, when you look at the team, uh, it would have been a different team, you know? And one of my favorite episodes with Tori was the, uh, the operation of, you know, the brain operation where, uh, where yes, lifeline. Yeah, a drift in and, lifeline. And, yeah, and that was a place where you got to see a weir that was um, whose defenses were down. Yeah, she's more vulnerable. Way more vulnerable than that. And and I, I think Tori did right. an amazing job of it. Yeah, um, you know, uh, but uh, but that for me was one of them. And the other one was Tabula Raza. Um, you know, where where. Um, we're not seeing the formed version of the characters yet. We're we're seeing. Um, uh, That's the uh, an episode that Amanda was in. Where was already gone at that point. Right. So what you're seeing is you're seeing these characters that are these these characters that are are um, abstracts. Um, abstracts themselves. That's where if there was a if there was a, a Tori or a uh, Jessica where you would have seen that that. Um, the, the change that I'm talking about, the mm-hmm. difference that I'm talking about between them, because you you got to see McKay without defense, you got to see Shepard without defense, you got to see 
you know, uh, um, um, uh, where, where you're actually seeing people that, that don't know how to move forward. And that's right. where you get that raw version of we're from those two would have been in something like that. Yeah. That's a great episode where you have, it's just, it comes down to, that's an episode where when, when you remove all of the foibles of a person, all of their memory and everything else, all they have is really their assertiveness to engage. Yeah. And their raw, their raw, um, uh, creative brains. Yeah. And one of the things that I love about that episode is Amanda it, or in a lot of the the earlier scenes where she's in is not front and center. She's in the background and she's thinking. Yeah. She's yeah. thinking her way through it, which is completely Carter. She's like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna make. I need to figure out my my plan of attack here before I'm moving it forward with anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I mean. Is those things inherently come forward, and I think what you would have seen if there had been a. Um, a weird character there, you would have seen this difference that I'm talking about between Jessica and Tori um, uh, show up in, in its rawest form. Mm-hmm. William Devane introducing the president. This was actually done in inauguration, the episode before mm-hmm. Lost City. Um, uh, really the first episode that's, that's having us in all honesty, uh, firmly break continuity with our reality. Mm-hmm. I, I I've always wanted to talk with Brad about that choice. It's like you know what we we've we've got to make this at some point we've got to make this story bigger. Yeah, uh, it can't just be underground in Colorado all the time. I think it, you guys took advantage of the X two set uh, for for the White yeah. House for the White House, yeah. And you actually used a shot of that in continuum of his speech that you never got to use in Lost City that you you right. held it over. Tell us yeah. about about bringing in the president. I thought I mean, it wasn't the first time Bill's played the, the president. This is true. <laughs> and and uh, we were talking about that. And uh, and he said, not my first time in the set either. Oh, know, wow. In the Oval Office. And um, uh, I, I loved his president. I, I loved his president, especially in, in Continuum, um, you know, where <coughs> um where everything is falling apart right. and, and uh, the, the idea of, of, um, of a, a very, very capable president who asks for the information rather than has the information for me was a big part of what that, that president was. He's not going to be the guy that just lays down the law. No, he, he leaves. Well, he and Hammond, serve together i mean he's from the chain of command he recognizes the importance of the chain of command yeah and asked the right questions and had a humility to him that that played beautifully as a as a president you know um it's before we saw an obama president that that you know could uh, could ask those questions without feeling you know um like uh, uh i mean it was honestly there's been a few presidents that that uh, um that you guys have had that have been those kind of presidents that you believe would reach out to the people who really knew what was going on and would take that in and then try and make decisions with those people rather than here's my decision for a um, thing, which is what a lot of movie presidents do. Mm-hmm. You know, they make decisions, they'll hear something and then they just make a decision about it. Right. And that, That's how I kind of looked at Harrison Ford with Air Force One. You know, oh, well, one, of my, one of my favorite interpretations, yeah. but depending on that situation, you know, that's an action movie. So, but, I mean, that's, that's part of it. And, you know, you look at, um, 
what's the one uh, the White House falling? Um, oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, oh, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, but that's again presidents that make decisions and things like this, but without having to think about you know what the ramifications of the people around them are. In this case, uh, Bill was making decisions um, that felt that you really liked him. You really appreciated him being the president um, because you could get, I mean, we're, we're, we're up flying F-15s and looking for an answer, you know, and, and it's so easy for a movie president to be, to be, you know, bluster and, and, you know, Patton or, or 4th of July, you know, it's, it's the, you know, those kind of presidents that they're, you know, this is what's going to happen to be able to make this happen. And instead it's, it's, uh, his character was was very much. I know you need this permission. I know you need these these things. I'm I'm going to do that. And it was in a way that that you felt there was a humility to it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I was so just delighted when you guys brought him back for continuum because it was I thought one of the crying shames that we never saw him again after Lost City. He was mentioned a fair bit. You know, you could tell that there was a reverence for him for the character. He he he, he left his stamp on uh the Stargate franchise for sure. Yes. And then yeah. when we got him back in continuum, it was like, Oh yeah, this is the this is the cherry yeah. on top for sure. Yeah. And then the scene with Don, you know? Yeah. It was an excuse to bring Don back for one last time. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many more questions that I want to get to, but I'm going to set those aside for the future. I'd love to have you back again. It's time to turn it over to the fans. Okay. So um, uh, Michelle Lee uh, wanted to know, Martin, if you could direct a favorite movie or series from your childhood, uh, uh, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, if like, I what could did direct... you grow up on loving Oh, that you could take a uh... swing at? I think in terms of movies, I would, I've always wanted to do a master and commander kind of uh, um, ship based movie. Wow. Um, high seas. Yeah. And, and uh, I was a big submarine fan. I was a big, you know, there was a, there was an old, old movie called Grey Lady Down, which, uh, which I loved as a submarine movie. And, uh, you know, I, I have always wanted to do them. I, you've seen it. I mean, in, in Stargate, in, uh, sorry, in, uh, in Sanctuary. And whenever yep. I get a chance to do, you know, Submarine, I'm all over Submarine. And oh, absolutely. You made a meal out of it with Small Victories. That yeah. was so <laughs> cool. And, um, and so uh, I've told the story about being in the, in the torpedo tube. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And uh, for me, that was, I loved being in submarines. And so I think it would be a submarine movie or a, or a, uh, um, a square rigger or a, um, a barkentine kind of movie where I'm, I'm you know, uh, being able to shoot it on the sea. So a master and commander kind of thing I would love to. And the period pieces. I like, I like period pieces because of, uh, you know, the things that it offers you. Well, yeah, there's so much attached to it, like so, uh, socio- sociologically, you got you got people interacting in a certain way at a certain period of time with certain things yeah. that they are certain foibles that they are dealing with. There's a whole ton of stuff that goes along with that for sure. Yeah, one of the more interesting ones I think recently was a uh, uh, there was a War of the Worlds that was set in, in Victorian England, and it was like wow, that's a, I mean, that's wow, that's a, it was really an interesting take. So. Yeah, there's also Cowboys versus Aliens, but eh, <laughs> I don't right. think I wouldn't have done that one. Yeah, I hear you. 
Vicky Cartwright, I would like to ask if Martin Wood is a secret Salmon Jack shipper, as lots of Jack and Sam moments happened in the episodes he directed. You talked to us okay. about Out of Mind in that scene with Rick and Amanda. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm interested to hear I that. Was, I was one of the very first people to start pushing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I knew that it was it was uh, a deal. And, and because Rick and Amanda had so much fun doing it, you know, the it's chemistry. The, yeah. Yeah. Solitudes um, is all you. And, and I mean, that was, that was where it started with, 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 you know, that very close contact where, where she's lying down beside him, you know? Um, and, uh, that's my sidearm, I swear. That's my sidearm. I know. I was about to say that is one of those great ones. Um, uh, but but truthfully, I I was a big promoter of the uh, uh, of the uh, salmon jack, and then when I got to do things like the saran wrap, you know, um, uh, yes. between them, you know, and uh, and that that moment of 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 being able to look at each other's faces through the force field like that upgrades that, and divide and conquer. He's talking about yeah, yeah. Um, that for me was I, I very much liked promoting that kind of stuff so I, I would say yes i'm a shipper it brought tension to the show in a series where you have the air force clearly saying in the same chain of command um this cannot happen so Maybe. you cannot deny eros between human beings yes. it yeah. simply exists so yeah. let's acknowledge it at the very yeah. least and you guys did were able to do that yeah for sure uh, I, uh, let me see here. Eva, one of the filming locations in Virgin River is Jack's cabin. Did it remind you of any Stargate memories? Wow. I chose it. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, been. It's a wonderful location. Yeah. And it's, it's very close to my house. Oh, um, there you go. Um, uh, yes. In fact, I was setting up a shot with a crane um, very reminiscent of the fish jumping out of the water shot. Uh, <laughs> oh, the pullback I, at the end of, of yeah. yeah. And I put, uh, I put um, uh, uh, Mel and Jack sitting where Jack and Sam had been sitting on that little bridge there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it, there's, a, there's a, a, a deck built across the pond right now that I started using with Virgin River. Uh, but it gives you the best look at the cabin. Um, and the interesting thing is never having gone into the cabin and Stargate. Um, it's having this whole set that's built inside the cabin. I did go inside it in Primeval New World. I was inside the actual cabin, which is terrible. Um, you don't want to be in there. Um, it's very small. Um, yeah. And, and if you have a, a, a respirator on. Oh, um, got it. But uh, but uh, we shot in there for uh, for um, uh, uh, primeval new world, and uh, um, so when we built it for for uh, Virgin River, it was it's so different than what I imagined it would be for for Sam and Jack in the, in, or for Jack in his cabin. Um, but yeah, it's always the same. It's always the same shots. It's always the same feeling because it's a very small area that you can be in. Claire Cowan wanted to know, did you keep your costume from uh, Continuum and filming in the Arctic? Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. I actually, my wife has been trying to clear out this area that we've got downstairs. And I I was actually looking at some of the stuff I have down there. 
Um, uh, I have several um, of the SG black jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, they were comfortable. And, and I've got one of Chris's, which thank God is still too big for me. Um, but uh, I have all of the, uh, um, uh, the stuff I, I wore with, uh, I know why Claire's asking it because she wants to buy it, but uh, <laughs> it won't fit you, Claire. It, uh, it's not like the Amanda stuff you get, but, uh, um, uh, but yes, I do have uh, a bunch of that stuff. I have the, the boots. I have the, um, I don't, I don't think the big coat I kept because I had a red one. That was the, the white one that I was wearing um, was not nearly as warm. Um, but yeah, all the rest of the costume that I had on there, because we were all wearing icebreaker. Um, yeah. This time, the Merino wool, which was amazing. Just crazy. The the yeah. amount of punishment you guys uh, put up with to get those amazing shots on. Favorite on time shooting. Favorite time shooting. Absolutely. Um, back there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Teresa MC, uh, have you always been interested in space travel or, or uh, perhaps even time travel uh, when growing up? Space travel, absolutely. I had all the Saturn V rockets. I had all the, the I had the, the lunar lander. I had the, uh, I had everything in my room. It was just covered in that kind of stuff. And for years and years, wanted to be an astronaut. And this is before Canadian astronauts were, were a thing. And my parents kept trying to convince me, no, you're not going to be an astronaut because there's no astronauts that are Canadian. And, um, <laughs> They were never harsh like that, but, yeah. but it was a reality that at the time to, to be an astronaut. And I spent most of my very young life um, wanting to be an astronaut and, and watching everything. I was such a sci-fi junkie when I was uh, young. With I read everything. I had a massive, I mean, uh, the books behind you, you mm-hmm. see are Heinlein, Asimov, Bradbury. They're, they're everything I could get. Um, I still have. <clears throat> you know, so when I see things like the Foundation series coming out and and uh, so that I just I jump on those things. I love those things. Very you know, cool, man. Anything that is canon sci-fi, oh, yeah. I was a huge fan of. Snowpiercer, not so much, but um, I liked the movie. I like the movie. Yeah. I, I and I honestly I I like parts of the series and things like this. I think what they're doing is incredible to mm-hmm. to make it work the way it is. Um, uh, I would work on it if I was given the opportunity. But it, <laughs> there you go. It, it's, it's the story that I had in my head was not the story that's being told now. And that's, that's part of it. You know, I think that in the film, I think uh, when I saw the, the, the monologue that Chris Evans has at the end of that, I was like, that is Oscar material. Yeah. That is a harsh scene. Yeah. What did you think of Dune? I loved it. I've seen it four times now. <laughs> Um, and, and because I never liked the first dude, I couldn't um, care for the movie either. No. And, and, uh, miniseries is good. It's okay, but still it wasn't what I thought. And then when I saw what Villeneuve did with the size, like that, I just, I keep going back to this when, when, (laughs) when those little uh, ships get spit out in space Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you see the size of them on the planet, I'm thinking, that's what Denis does so well is that he can create that sense of size of what it was. And the sandworm is yeah. the same thing. And uh, honestly, I, I really love what Timothy Chalamet did with it. I think that uh, I'm looking forward to what Zendaya does with it in the, in the second mm-hmm. part. Um, Jason was wonderful. Jason, he was it, Duncan. It, and it's so funny because Jason gets away with playing Jason all the time. <laughs> if, if you know who Ronan was, 
you know who Aquaman is, you know who Conan is, you know, I mean, because he does that so well. And he really, I mean, I, I love watching Jason like that. And I, I, what's funny to me is looking at him um, wearing that helmet and going, eh, his head wouldn't fit in a helmet like that. Because I always had that trouble with, we couldn't get the helmet, that space helmet on Jason's head. Um, you know, it fits Chris's head. It doesn't fit Jason's head. But, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's I, but I, I get a kick out of watching Jason all the time because it's the Jason I know. Exactly. And it's going to carry him far. Yeah. Uh, Akos, uh, Thomas Novaki, uh, a, a favorite or one of your weirder uh, cameos in Stargate? Um. The one where I'm in the, and I don't remember what episode it was, when I'm in the uh, um, in the elevator, um, uh, and uh, Rick comes in, and he wanted to say something, and I always go back to the fact that we we had this, Brad had this plan if we could get, um, uh, aren't you in Lost City shaking your head over the uh, the crossword puzzle? Isn't that I think you? So. I think so. I think I, that's I, it. Honestly, I, it's it's uh, um, it's the one where I was. What I was doing was I was I was experimenting with a new way to do the elevator, mm-hmm. so I could actually move the the set piece in front of it, mm-hmm. and I, I put myself in that scene. Um, uh, in Lost City, I remember I had uh, I was in the the corridors with uh, with Dan. Oh, okay. Um, uh, in that, so we could put ourselves into Atlantis if we wanted to. Um, you know, um, uh, but yeah, I can't remember what episode it was from, but that was my favorite one was, was that, uh, that version of it. Um, I got to tell you my favorite, my favorite, um, Dan Shea one was when he gets knocked off the, uh, the stairs and has to land that, uh, upgrades. Um, hey, Siler. <laughs> that was my favorite Dan Shea one. And, uh, I think was I at the bottom of the stairs on that one, looking at uh, helping him. I think that's where I was Man, on that one. I, I remember something about this story, but I just remember thinking, "What a tricky! If you get that wrong, you know he's going to go sliding." And, yeah, man, th- that guy put up with a lot of punishment. And his line in two hundred is the best. Why is this always happening to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. A- uh, let me see here. Uh, Tin Man wanted to know. I'd like to know if any of the sets are still available from any of the series. Those have been long gone, yeah. haven't they? They are long gone. Yeah, yeah. I uh, um, I know some people have uh, recreated the um, uh, the boardroom in their basement. I know some, people, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's an awful lot of people out there who have uh, have sets in their houses. But uh, but no, I don't think that any of the sets still exist. Um, have you seen Stargate Network? I have. Yeah, yeah the Unreal build. Yeah. It's getting better and better. It is yeah. so cool. Yeah. What uh, Chantel Leo? What is your uh, favorite episode of Sanctuary? Of Sanctuary? Uh huh. Um, I think for lots of different reasons, next Tuesday was. I thought uh, you were going to say that. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, um, there's a couple of them. Honestly, Kush was one of my favorites too. And I, I, and it's just because it's so contained and because we met so many cool characters in that. Um, uh, 
but I think next Tuesday was probably one of my favorites. Um, I mean, there, there's there's so many good episodes uh, in that that for different reasons were mm-hmm. were um, uh, were incredible. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, anytime I get to to have uh, um, Ian and and Amanda fight for five days, <laughs> it's going to be a good episode, you know. So. <laughs> That was that was a great episode. Is it streaming anywhere right now? I haven't followed up on Sanctuary. I one. don't think so. Oh. Uh, I I know that there's been, and I, I I have to be very careful about what I say about it right now. Of but course, there is movement right now, okay. um, and uh, um, there is movement in in Sanctuary World. So uh, is that the the re, is that the next iteration? Yeah, potentially. I have to be careful about what I say, so of course, um, but yes. There's yeah, there's talk. All right, I like that. I'll say this: there's more than talk. Okay, <laughs> good for you. So potential, if there was a next thing that there's potential involvement on your part, potentially, yeah. I okay. mean, it's it's uh, um, you have to know that that um, the, the the forces that be have talked to Damien, Amanda, and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know about uh, about that, but uh, um, I. I can't say much more than that. Okay. Well, that's that's for sanctuary fans. That's I I'm excited for you guys. For, yeah. Terrific. Um Jonathan Foss, uh what for you was a big difference between directing Stargate and directing Sanctuary? Sanctuary had much more control of. Um That's true. Because there were the three of us really making all the decisions, all of the decisions in that. Uh Amanda and Damien and I. Um it was there, it, there was much more camaraderie involved in that because it wasn't as big a machine. It was a very small machine that, that, you know, that we um, bled into every day, um, you know, and, and uh, um, there was always blood on the carpet with it that we had to sort of deal with. And so for that reason, Sanctuary was, um, uh, was a passion project that I got to be, more passionate about because it was my blood that was there on the carpet, you know? Um, and truthfully it was, it had started with a specific idea, uh, Damien walking into my office from across the hall, handing me a script and saying, what do you think? And we going, Oh my God. And then it sort of, it, it uh, exponentially took off from there. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Summer wanted to know. I heard that the character of Martin was based on you. <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> I wish. No, I, I mean, Martin was based on Willie Garson is what it was. Mm. It was uh, It was very much written for him. Um, the name was the same, but... Uh, but Coincidence? I, I, yeah, I don't think that that Brad or or Robert or any of the guys had, uh, or Paul or Joe had had me in mind when they were writing that character. I, I wish, but I, I can't take any credit for it. Understood. Tune Tamasha, Martin. Which episode had the most reshoots and 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 retakes, and why? Weather, props, camera issues. The pilot. The pilot's how I started with it. Um, we went in, I reshot the whole scene of the escape from the prison was a reshoot. The whole um, scene? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just the whole escape was a, was a reshoot. What happened? Um, it didn't 
turn out the way that, that Brad and, uh, and uh, Jonathan had wanted it to. And so um, uh, that was my, my um, I was firsting the, uh, the third episode uh, with Rusty um, in it and, uh, and uh, got asked if I could do, in fact, I was going to leave. I, I, this is, I don't know if I've told the story before, but I was the first AD on uh, the third and the fifth episode so Emmy um, within with with yeah. Kowalski's death and then the fifth yeah. one would be like okay okay and uh, and so I was only the first AD on those two and I was there I had done some I directed a, a series called two I'd done an episode of that and I had done um, some uh, I directed a bunch of stuff for a, a movie called them with Tony Todd in it um, and had really wanted to concentrate on directing I was firsting at the time uh, Ron French was producing. I'd gone in and talked to Michael and Rick and said, you know, I really want to direct, but um, I will first this stuff until Bill Mizell is freed up and comes back because Andy Makita was doing the very first episode. Then Bill was supposed to do the ones after that. Um, I was caught in, in being able to do that. And so at the end of the, the, uh, the last episode, I sort of turned to them and said, I'm going to go. Uh, this is my last day. And Michael said, can you come into Rick's trailer for a second? And I walked into Rick's trailer and Rick said, we're keeping you as a second unit director. And that's really what happened was it was me being pulled into Rick's trailer and Michael and Rick saying, we're keeping you as a second unit director. Um, Brad needs you guys, Brad and Jonathan need you to do something with the, uh, the pilot. And so I went back in and shot a whole ton of stuff with it. So I think that was probably, we didn't do a lot of reshoots on, on these, these shows. There wasn't the ability to be able to do it. Um, you know, there wasn't the money to do it or the ability. So there wasn't a ton of stuff that we had to reshoot often. Um, the only scenes really that I can remember, there was another one. And truthfully, I can't remember what episode it was mm-hmm. for. Um, oh, I do. Uh, it was Other Guys. Oh, season six. Yeah. The Other Guys, I had to reshoot a scene. And it was because something had technically gone wrong uh, with it. And we had to reshoot it. Um and Patrick had to come back for it. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, it, you know, you do enough planning in advance, you can pull Paul almost anything off, whether or not withstanding in a couple of other other things. Yeah. But was yeah. there ever a, a circumstance where it was like, we got this, this is what we have. I don't. I'm not happy with it, but it gets the job done. Or were you always able yeah. to make it work? No, blowing up a beach once was a tr- was trouble for me. Um, uh, do you remember the uh, the run with um, when we were on the planet? I can't remember the name of the episode. Uh, the team is running toward us down the beach, and it's being uh, blown up by a glider. Okay, um, there was. Uh, is that forty eight hours? Because they're no. running toward camera. It's being no. blown up by a glider. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, into the fire. Uh, no. Uh, in no. the in the uh, the line of duty, the line of duty, right? Yes, Amanda, Amanda is over top of uh, yeah. That's it, what it, she... Joel and R pays her a visit, right? Um, so uh, that beach scene there, we did it twice. The first time it didn't work out, and I had to do it again, which meant we had to replant all the bombs. We had to oh do God! It. And the second time was one of those things where I went, I can't do it again. I have to live with it. It worked. I mean, I had five cameras on it, so I knew it was going to work. The first time it didn't work. Um, um, 
And it wasn't one of those situations where it's like, hey, let me show you what it looks like. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, let's roll cameras. It wasn't that. Uh, it just, it just, it didn't pan out the way I was supposed to, that sh- uh, the, the shot. And I needed something very, very specific with the glider going into the gate. Um, <clears throat> you Got know, it. So, um, yeah, because there's that wide shot of it, like, coming around. And I, okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. And uh, so that one I did have to, re- I, I did have to settle for on that one. But there wasn't a lot of that. You know, there wasn't a lot of it. Uh, usually it was big effects things that happened like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another time was when we found the, uh, um, we found the, um, uh, the ancient library. Yes. The um, and to get to that, there was that whole uh, blowing up that whole field. Um, uh, you know, with, we were being, un- we were under attack at that point. That was when we were in uh, an incredibly uh, dry tinder time. And there were no fires allowed, and we're blowing up a field filled with grass. Um, and I knew that when I had one shot at it, and that was it. Um, so again, I had to be—I had, I had to be happy with that one. Mm-hmm. That's um, it. You have to be happy. You never get yeah. necess- don't necessarily get another pass. Right. Our, uh, Raj wanted to know, uh, and Raj's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Raj! Happy birthday, Raj! What are your thoughts on the future of the franchise? I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if it was up to me, there would be it would continue forever. Um, <laughs> as quite honestly, it has legs forever um, because there's so much more that you could do with it, and um, and it was one of the first times that people experimented with humor mm-hmm. and sci-fi in the, at that level and in the and now. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it really works, you know, and it really, that, that what really worked on Stargate SG-1 was the team. That was, that was what made that show. The idea behind it was great. The team that pulled it off was great. (laughs) And I'm talking about behind the scenes and in front of the camera, Mm. that team worked for it, which is why Stargate worked. Atlantis, um, Universe, all those things those elements all came together in the right way. Um, uh, it is certainly possible to do more of that. And I certainly hope in the future that it does happen because there are some very big brains that know how to make that kind of TV show very, very good. Um, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm always talking to Brad when I, when I say that, but Brad <laughs> and Robert and Paul and Joe um, and Jonathan, when, when he originally started it, they, they're, massive brains there that, that came up with with uh these things and you know and and everybody else jeff king and damien and all these other guys that came in and were writing the uh the show all these other people that that, that were part of that team uh alan you know there there's so much there that uh that uh um these writers had these giant brains that could make a new series i hope it happens i teeter back and forth on whether or not Amazon because sooner or later Amazon's going to do something with that property. There's there's, I don't see anything else happening. The question no. is, are they going to want to go blank slate so that they can have the most creative flexibility? Or are they going to be willing to hitch themselves to 350 hours of story? And well, I, I mean, that's always been the uh, Emmerich kind of uh, argument, right? Is, yeah. is um, you know, <laughs> who has a bigger audience? You know, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Are we, are we good on time? Do you need to split? I'm okay. 
Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, a couple more and I'll let you go. Uh, that dude right there, and this is something that has bothered me immensely as a cannon hound. Uh, there were multiple iterations of models in Atlantis, particularly the city itself. Mm-hmm. evolved over the course of the show. I am I am a Rainmaker faithful in terms of the original design from seasons like one through three. Later on in the series, you get to more like more angular designs like this one here that doesn't have like the lower levels that would have been originally under the ice in, mm-hmm. in uh, Rising. Was that anything on your guys' part or did the vendors just create new models? What happened there? Because you I can think, see it with the naked eye. You can see the differences in the show later on. Yeah. I think um, to begin with, Bruce was was adamant that there, that there was a design that we wanted to stick with that was um, something that, that Bridget and uh, and Richard and, and I mean, that, that we were building the interior to be a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the exterior always had a discordance with the interior to a certain extent. Um, you know, and I think what happened was that discordance started to work on everybody so that they, the newer models incorporated what the interior was a little bit more um, uh, uh, to make the outside work better, you know, so to make Atlantis that much better. Like there was never that that whole idea of being going down was difficult for us. You know, um, we had multiple levels, but we didn't have multiple levels that we could constantly move from. Mm. Um, and, you know, when we used the effect stage, that was where it showed us the, the, the skeletal structure of it. But it okay. didn't give us the opportunity to be able to go, you know, down, 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 where we needed to go to, you know, to discover things. And that was the original idea, I think, was that we could get there. You know, we, we could go down. And I mean, there was a line that McKay had. Um, talking about how much deeper it was than what we were seeing and how we couldn't get down to those levels. And I don't think we ever really explored those the way that we needed to. Um, it was a big city. Yeah, it was. And I mean, that was what it was supposed to be, was was big. And the, the idea of not having a Jeffrey's tube that could move you sideways in it was another thing. Oh, a turbo lift. Yeah, or the, yeah, yeah, the, turbo, the, ring, yeah. the ring transport room. Yeah, Sorry, the Jeffrey's tube was the other thing. Yeah, right, that was a right. crawl space. Yeah. yeah, anything that could get you into it. I mean, you had to move to it all the time. You didn't have those, mm. those uh, that that ability to be able to move. So when you're seeing where um, the puddle jumpers are launching from and where the command towers, you're going. Well, that takes a long time to get from there to there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think again, that's something that when you're designing something like that, you have to start thinking. Oh, we need people movers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap this up, I attuned to Masha. I didn't see this question near the bottom here. And this, this pricked my interest as well. Um, with Rick, you have a darker Jack in episodes like shades of gray, where he's, he's arguing in the briefing room about stealing to, to save our butts from alien invasion and red sky where he nearly shoots a priest or a, 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 you know, an acolyte point blank in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard was it to manifest dark Jack with Rick? Um, you know where the, the darkest Jack comes is the, the child, the, the loss of the child. 
No, no, it's, it's oh. not where it comes from, but where you see the darkest one is actually on the ice when he's not familiar with what the, the Stargate uh, program is, mm. you know, when, when in continuum, when, when, when you see that Jack, you see what that Jack was capable of if he hadn't been a part of the Stargate program, you know, like he's very, he's by the book. He's, he's a, which is not the O'Neill that we know. You know, and that version also hasn't lost a child. Right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so I think that, that um, one of the things that you see with the, the, the dark Jack is um, hints of uh, the movie Jack O'Neill, mm-hmm. you know, where let's blow it up. Let's, let's, you know, this is the mission. This is what we're supposed to be doing here, you know? Um, and Daniel Jackson is, is, is the stop, you know, sober second thought to it all. But, uh, but truthfully, if you, if you see, uh, you know, the Kurt Russell version of, of Jack, you see the darker Jack there. Um, and so O'Neill had that ability to be able to be that if he referenced that kind of stuff, um, Rick naturally liked the humor of Jack, you know, um, you, ended that sentence with a preposition. You know, that's, that's, that's Jack, you know, that's, uh-huh. that's, that's uh, Richard being Jack O'Neill. And it's come uh, out of the crucible of pain and yeah. loss because yeah. he's hiding. He, if, when, when he touches, when he touches the pain, like at yeah. the end of window of opportunity, he lashes out. Yeah. And so it's always, there is that undercurrent. And I think that's yes. one of the things yeah. that makes him delicious to watch. And I think in Red Sky, what's interesting too is you see backs against the wall in a way that they weren't normally back against the wall. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, we can fix this, right? No, we can't. No. You know, and and when that happens, it it becomes you see the command jack come out. Mm-hmm. You know, and there were times there were there were there were <laughs> a number of times when he had to make those those those. Um, difficult decisions you know um and again it, it's the humanity of richard dean anderson right that, that gets injected into so much of this stuff because that is rick mm-hmm. you know um rick has trouble playing dark mm-hmm. um because he's not that guy like when when if you ever see um oh now the, the, the series name has gone out of my head where he was the drunk cowboy. What was that? Uh, is that legend? Was... Legend. Yeah. I have unfortunately not seen it. I do so want to see you... John. Him and John Delancey are great. Yeah, but when you see that that you see Rick playing that guy, you go, "Oh wow, that's a totally different character than I've mm-hmm. ever seen before." I mean, you see in MacGyver and in in, in uh, O'Neill, you see similarities, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Richard part of it. But Legend, which he had so much fun playing, you know. Uh, it's a different, it's a different uh, um, Rick. And it acknowledges the importance of Daniel in helping to soften those edges down from what, uh, from, from the dark place that Daniel helped pull him out of in the movie. And then yeah. Sam and Teal, Teal particularly, I think in many, many ways, it, more than, than some of the others, really helped him um, find his family again in the team. Well, because he had to do it himself. Yeah. You know, uh, Tilk was finding that himself. He was unhomed. 
Yeah. And and in being unhomed and without with literally without a command structure. Yeah. He had no idea what to do. For this, you can stay at my place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Best lines from the pilot. Yeah. Uh, last question. Peace Rider wanted to know. It's my sidearm, I swear. Was this an ad lib as far as you remember? Or was that in the script? I think it was in the script. I, okay. I it was in the script. I could look, go back and look at it to see. We could come up with some <laughs> the, of the most amazing, the ad-lib most amazing the, ad-libs. Uh, the ad lib that, that came out was the "You're MacGyver." That was that that came out of Amanda's mouth and made everybody crack up. That was an ad lib. And the stuck um, on a glacier with MacGyver. Didn't you set that up? Didn't you set up that that she gag? She came up and asked if it was okay if she did it, and I said yes. Yeah, yeah, because you're gonna blow a take. You know, you might you, you better ask your director. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Martin, privilege, absolute privilege having you on once again. I feel the same way, David. Thank you. And uh, all the continued success with you. Please tell Amanda hello the next time you see her. I will. Uh, And um, thank you again for everything that you have have done to continue uh, uh, shining the light on the franchise as we move forward, sir. I'm here anytime you want to ask questions. I'm willing to answer them. If I can remember them, but it's, uh, it's, uh, um, uh, what happens when I talk to you is you start to bring up things that I can, I, I I'm tapping into things that I haven't thought about for years, but I love it. I it's love all it. there. And it was a great period. Uh, uh, it was a great period of TV history, you know, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You take care of yourself and I'll, I'll reach out to you later this year. Thank you so much. And thank you to summer as well for, for putting this together with you. Thank you, summer. You take care, man. I'm going to wrap up the show. Thanks. Thank you. Martin Wood, producer and director from Stargate. I, I love this guy. It's just always amazing having him on. He's, he is one of these people that has an absolute um, wealth of knowledge about the show. And all you have to do is just give him one little thread and he'll just start pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and all these stories come out. So he's, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge, many more episodes that I'd like to uh, talk with him about as we move forward. I have been putting off a few questions uh, for me because I just get to the end of the show and I'm so excited to move on to the next one. Um, And so I just wanted to get to those while I have you guys for a minute, I know a lot of, so there, there've been a number of, of requests for me to answer uh, some of these questions. Raj Luthra, if given the opportunity, would you travel to space? I uh, cannot wait for the day when uh, suborbital space travel becomes like $2,000 a ticket or even, even cheaper than that, because I am, I am totally on board for that. And I think that we are within reach of that in the next a few decades to come. So for sure going up into space. So if I could go further, absolutely. Uh, David, a different question from Jean Tien. How tall are you? You looked very, very tall in the con videos. <laughs> I am six, three, uh, from Gary T. Don't press the one. Can I get this on a mug from the dial the gate store? Hashtag don't press the one. Is that a Stargate reference? Can anyone back me up on that, Gary T? Um, so there's there's a lot of, of different merchandise items. I'll get to that in just a moment here. Uh, David, FYI, everyone would like um, 
more trivia at a later date. So one of the things that I have not um, talked about yet, I want, and I've seen several comments about this, is, you know, it's been great to have the big group, but we'd like to get back to, like, the the first or second trivia with just me and Darren, just have one-on-one. Uh, and so I think for, uh, I, I still like to try to do a trivia every quarter, every three or four months. So I think the next one, I think I'd like to invite Darren on and we'll go head to head once again, uh, and, and see which, which one of us is, uh, has got the goods. Thanks once again, uh, to, to Martin for coming on. Um, and if you've enjoyed the episode, please uh, consider sharing it with uh, fellow Stargate friends. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free. And we do appreciate you watching. And if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages, as well as cups and other accessories in a variety of sizes and colors over at dialthegate.com. From the merchandise tab, click on a specific design to see what items are being offered. Check out is fast and easy. You can use a credit card or PayPal. You can visit dialthegate.com for this or go straight to dialthegate.com slash merch. And thanks so much for all your support. I cannot do this show on my own. It requires a team effort. Summer, Tracy, uh, Reese, Keith, Jeremy, Anthony, uh, my producer, Linda, Gabber Fury. All these people who help uh, bring the show to life and, and bring the word uh, out. Big thanks to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web. He is the web developer for Dial the Gate. Also, a big thank you to Jeremy Heiner, our webmaster who keeps the site up to date. Next week, I am working on having two interviews, but one currently is, is greenlit. The other one, there's a COVID situation, so we'll see what happens. Uh, for January the 15th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, Brian J. Smith... Matthew Scott from Stargate Universe will be joining us. We're going to get uh, his take on the new Matrix, and he's going to share some stories from the set of Universe as well. Uh, Brian, uh, he and I go way back before he even shot a frame of Universe. I was uh, the first Stargate fan to interview him when he was cast in the role of Matt. So very uh, looking, very much looking forward to to having him back and, and catching up with him on SGU and The Matrix, which if you have not seen it yet, go check it out. I, I loved it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a love letter to the originals. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining me on Dial the Gate. And next week, we'll, we'll bring in Brian and we'll go from there. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.